Acts chapter 10. We're going to get right to it. We have a lot to talk about. This is part two of being led by the Spirit. Last week we talked about being led by the Spirit. This is part two. It's incredibly important for the Christian. So there is much to talk about. If you weren't here last week, you kind of need to hear that message. The two, uh, this one builds on that previous one. So you can go online, download it, watch it, listen to it for free all the time. It's there for you. Acts chapter 10, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this morning, as we have gathered in your name, we can expect to hear from you. Thank you that when we open your word, we know we're going to hear from you. It's living and it's active. The Holy Spirit speaks through your holy word. It's truth. And it has a radical effect on our hearts and our minds, in the deepest places of who we are and how we live. We ask that that would be very true this morning. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to respond. We say, Jesus, that you are the king of our lives. We ask the Holy Spirit you would help us to reorder our lives around, under, and for Christ and his purposes. And we ask that you would please anoint me by grace to teach and preach now. You give me strength, wisdom, insight, discernment, and knowledge. Every word that comes from these lips would be from your throne and for your glory and fruitful to accomplish your purposes. We ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about the fact that being led by the Spirit is an issue of both love and glory. What do I mean by that? Love because your heavenly Father loves you. You are his sons and daughters. And so he wants to, he intends to lead you in your life in a macro sense, in the big stuff and mission and ministry and vocation and all that. And in the micro sense, in the little things that are important to you. Because they're important to you, they're important to your heavenly father. What good father doesn't want to lead his sons and daughters? What, what loving mother doesn't want the same? Your heavenly father wants to lead you. It's a love thing. And the Holy Spirit and his leading is a tremendous gift of the Father's love for us. But we also then respond in love. We want to be led by the Spirit because we love God. Because we love him, we want to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Because we love him, we want to see our lives bring him glory. We want our lives to count for his purposes. We want his will in our lives. Therefore, it's imperative that we are led by the Holy Spirit. It's a love thing. Father loves us, so he wants to lead us. We love him, so we want to be led. But it is also a glory thing, meaning it is much bigger than just us and our lives. It has to do with God and his glory. He will lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's a love thing, and it's a glory thing. Therefore, it's incredibly important and yet it is, it seems, extremely difficult. Because to be led by the Spirit requires that we learn to hear from the Spirit. Which is, always not, which is not always as easy as one might hope. But it is essential 
for living life in the will of God. And that is the desire of every Christian. I want to be in God's will. Therefore, I need to be led by God's spirit in the word and other ways. Therefore, I need to be able to hear from the spirit. Jonathan Edwards, great revivalist of the second great awakening said, the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving and then move in that direction. That is what we want. We want to know what God is doing and do those things. We want to know in which way God is moving and move in that way. We want that for our church, right? We want that for our lives together. We want that as individuals. We want that for our families, for our relationships. We want that for our children to discover what God is doing and then to begin to do those things and move in that direction. But when we endeavor to do that, we realize very quickly that it's not a science. As I mentioned last week, there are no three points to it, no 10 points to it. It is much more rather an art, learning to hear the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And nobody ever nails it. Nobody says, oh, I learned to heard from the Spirit, done, I've got that down, no problem. It is rather a lifelong process of discovery in which we are always growing. And it's a process that involves a lot of mystery, quite honestly. It's a process that necessitates humility, always. And it is a process that requires of us that we are intentional in wanting to be led and in hearing from the Spirit. One of the wonderful things that we realize is that usually God is more willing to speak to us and lead us than we are willing to hear from him and be led. He's very willing to speak to us and lead us. Therefore, we have this tremendous confidence because as Christians, we know that the Spirit is in us. We are confident that the Spirit is always working in us to work God's will and God's ways in our lives. One of the ways he does that is by leading and guiding to the Holy Spirit in the particulars of our lives. Oftentimes, he'll do that just by us knowing his word. That is one of the main ways that we are led by the Spirit is just through the plain, black and white, inerrant, wonderful, true word of God. Talked about that last week. Other times, it's through wisdom that he gives to us. And wisdom is always available to the believer. James said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives. Other times, he leads us in very natural ways that we don't often recognize as his leading. But in hindsight, we're able to look back and say, oh, I see how the pieces of the puzzle come together. That was God leading me. I didn't think so at the time. I just thought I was being careful and prayerful and moving forward. But it really was God in hindsight. God working supernaturally through natural circumstances. That's true in all of our lives. Often he'll lead us through the community of believers the church and our relationships and our care for and prayer for one another. And sometimes, as we've been talking about, God leads us through more esoteric sort of experiences. Hearing, the voice, the impression, thoughts, feelings, perhaps visions, dreams, prophetic words, and the like. These are essential for the life of the believer. Number one, they're normative in scripture. That's normal stuff in scripture. Dreams, visions, prophetic word, voices, hearing, impressions. It's normal stuff in scripture. Number two, 
Scripture does not directly address every particular of our lives, but God cares about every particular. The Spirit wants to lead us in those things. And so we have to be able to hear in those ways. Now, in Acts chapter 10 here, we have a wonderful instance of Peter hearing from the Spirit. And what we're going to do is just kind of read the text and then walk through some of the details and try to really grab some practical tools for how we might better hear from the Spirit, learn to hear. Okay, we're just going to try to grab some tools. I'll give you a bit of the context here. Peter is in a place called Joppa. It's where, um, uh, what's his name? Jonah had sailed from when he was in rebellion to God. Okay, so he's hanging out in Joppa on the coastline of Israel. Just north of there is a place called Caesarea. And there was an Italian military commander there who had been praying to God. And God wanted to reveal to him the gospel. It was the first time that the gospel would go to Gentiles. And so an angel appears to the Italian commander, the Roman commander, and says, uh, send some of your boys down to Joppa where they're going to find this guy named Peter who will come to you and preach the gospel. Okay, so that's where we pick it up is Peter having this revelation of what God is doing. So it says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 10, And on the next day, as they were on their way, this envoy from Caesarea to Joppa to find Peter, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up and a certain object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came and said to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean, unkosher. And again a voice came to him a second time saying, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And it happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, just a little clue here. What God is trying to show Peter is that the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles, whom he as a Jew had previously considered unclean. This isn't about bacon. It's about the Gentiles, okay? Just so we understand. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself." And Peter went down to the men. Okay, now listen. I don't want us to worry about the overarching narrative right now and what it all means. I just want us to focus in on the fact that Peter is being led by the Spirit here. That he hears from God in this instance. So there's some real clear revelation that he obeys. What can we learn from Peter's experience to help our endeavors to also hear from the Spirit? First thing that we can learn is this. In verse 9, it says that Peter was up on the rooftop at about noon to pray. This was the regular habit of Peter's life. Peter had spiritual practices in his life that he was committed to. 
His spirituality was purposeful. His relationship with God was intentional. He was a disciple. He was disciplined. His spiritual life didn't just happen to him. It wasn't happenstance. He was purposeful about spiritual practices. Namely, in this instance, withdrawal and prayer. What is that? Withdrawal is the spiritual practice of getting alone to quiet oneself before God. Prayer is the spiritual practice of engaging God in a dialogue. Usually we think monologue, but prayer is a dialogue. We're able to speak to God and he speaks back. Peter had a regular rhythm of his life where he would do this. This was a habit of his life. At noon, he would begin to pray. Do you have anything like this in your life? Are you intentional, purposeful, disciplined about giving yourself to spiritual practices? We know in our busy lives that if we don't schedule something, it's not gonna happen. We're all incredibly busy. And things that we don't give priority to will fall by the wayside. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are intentional about our relationship with him. Withdrawal, endeavoring to get alone with him. Prayer, endeavoring to dialogue with him. What this did for Peter was position him to hear from God, which is exactly what it does for us. But here's a nuance that's incredibly important. Peter wasn't going up on the rooftop to pray because he wanted to be led. Peter was going up on the rooftop to pray because he wanted to be with Jesus. That's an important subtlety. You see, we often have sort of crisis spirituality. Oh my gosh, I need to know what to do. Oh my gosh, I need to know which way to go. Oh my gosh, I need to know what's gonna happen. So I'm gonna go talk to the Lord. Okay, that's fine. But that is not the tone and tenor of the Christian. The tone and the tenor is, I am radically loved by Jesus more than I could comprehend. Because he first loved me, I love him. And I've been saved not to religion. I've been saved to relationship. Therefore, I draw near to him in love. Draw near to the throne of grace. Because that's what the cross has enabled me to do. We are a people who want to practice being in the presence of God, intentionally scheduling times where we withdraw, quiet ourselves alone before him, and we engage, praying, dialoguing with him. It is from that place of intimacy that all the rest of the Christian life flows. Perhaps your Christian life at this point just seems kind of less than it ought to be. Perhaps what is missing is a purposeful engagement and intimacy. It is from the place of intimacy, withdrawing and praying, that all the rest of the Christian life, including mission, ministry, faithfulness, and fruitfulness flow. It is in that place where we receive grace to forgive, to be forgiven, to love, to receive love. It is from that place alone with God that all the rest of the Christian life flows. Therefore, we must be intentional about it. That, again, is the definition of a disciple, a learner who is intentional. And we are students of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he wants to teach us is to hear what the Spirit wants to say. So we need to make time to practice doing that. So yes, the tone and the tenor of the Christian life is we get alone with Jesus just to be alone with Jesus because that's what we're called to. But we also need to get alone to practice hearing. 
Now, what might that mean for you? What might it mean to practice hearing from the Lord? It might mean that you go on a walk and you say, Lord, speak to me. It might mean that you read your Bible and you're saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me, teach me. It might that you bring before him a certain instance of your life and you say, Spirit, lead me in this. Talk to me about this. Practicing listening. Learning to pay attention. See, we pay attention to so many things in our lives. But do we? Can we honestly say that we pay careful attention to God? We spoke about last week the fact that a challenge that modern culture presents with this is our devices, right? We must be honest. Our iPhones, our whatever phones, and our laptops, and our iPads, and our TVs, and our all this different stuff. None of that is bad, but we are bad. You understand that? And we're so given, maybe it's just me, we're so given to ignoring God and doing everything else. We've got to quiet ourselves in our lives. Sometimes it means dealing with our devices. Putting them down, not turning them on. Don't automatically let it be the stereo or the TV or the laptop. Take some time to practice the presence of God. Try to hear what the Spirit would say because he's speaking more often than we are paying attention. You must know that. You are his beloved daughter. You are his beloved son. He is speaking to you. Now, I know that part of the reason why we are so easily given to our devices is that for some of us, silence is incredibly painful. For some of us, we have deep places of hurt deep places of disappointment, deep places where we're confused and bitter and silence causes us to confront those things and it hurts. Can I say something to you from experience? Jesus is in our deepest places of pain. Jesus is in our deepest places of pain. I know sometimes the silence can be daunting, but go there. Christ is there. Now, the next thing we see is this. While Peter is praying, he gets hungry. He's thinking about food. It says in verse 10, he was desiring to eat. Here's what's important about this. It tells us that Peter was very human, right? We think, oh gosh, he's spiritual. It's noon and he's praying on the rooftop. He's by himself and he's drawing near to Jesus, but he's also very human. It's noon and he's hungry, And he's desiring to eat. He's praying for a little bit and then he's thinking about food. I love this. Peter was very much like me, easily distracted, easily pulled away from times of trying to draw near to God. We do this all the time. There's good news about this. Peter's being hungry. He's thinking about food. He's being distracted. Didn't keep God from speaking to him. God's our father. He knows we're silly little kids that are easily distracted. He's able to speak to us even in those times. What we also know about Peter that brings us great comfort is that Peter didn't always get following Jesus right. He was, after all, the one who denied Christ on the night that he was crucified. He was, after all, the one whom Paul rebuked because he was having this sort of hypocritical stance to the Gentiles. You read about that in the book of Philippians. And what that teaches us is this. 
When it comes to following Jesus, we need to be okay with failing on occasion. Nobody expects you to be perfect. Jesus didn't save you because you're perfect. He saved you because you're incredibly messed up. And just because you're saved doesn't mean you're perfect anymore. Not till we go be in glory with Jesus. We're going to fail when it comes to following Jesus sometimes. And we're going to fail when it comes to hearing the Spirit. And we need to give ourselves permission to fail on occasion. Jesus saved you even knowing you would do so. And we need to give each other permission to fail. There's going to be times where I get the leading of the Holy Spirit wrong. It's going to affect you. There's going to be times where you get the leading of the Holy Spirit wrong. It's going to affect us. Nobody here is expected to be perfect. Nobody is perfect to being led by the Spirit and following Jesus. We must give each other permission to fail on occasion because we're all human and to err is human. And after all, when we get the leading of the Spirit wrong, that's one of the ways that we learn how to be led by the Spirit. Because sometimes we think something is the Spirit. Oh my gosh, I think the Spirit's leading me in this way. And then we go, we do that thing, we're like, ugh. I don't think that was the spirit. I don't think that was the right way. And in that, we learn something tremendous. We learn what the voice of the spirit and the leading of the spirit doesn't sound like. It doesn't look like. I thought that was the spirit. I was obviously wrong. Okay, I learned something there. And that begins to tune us in to how the spirit does lead us. What his voice does sound like when he speaks to us. Again, being led by the spirit is a lifelong process And it's a lifelong process of trial and error. We will get it wrong. We need to give each other permission to do so and cover each other and coach and help and love each other when that happens. Now, there's another important lesson here with Peter being hungry. Hunger is a desire of the flesh. Some of you are hungry right now. You're so carnal. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hunger is a desire of the flesh, but there's nothing wrong with it, right? It's fine. He was hungry. There's, There's nothing wrong about that. It was innocent enough. But not all of the desires of the flesh are innocent. Many of them are unhealthy coping mechanisms that are in our lives and that we develop in our lives. And what I would like to suggest to you is that we need to learn to listen to the desires of our flesh the wrong desires of our flesh because they may be, they often are clues as to what the Spirit might be wanting to do in your life. See, Galatians chapter 5 places this juxtaposition between the Spirit and the flesh, the sinful nature that we still have to deal with until we're in glory with Jesus. And it says they're at odds with one another, that they're at war with one another. Spirit is leading us, but the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. And so if I finally, if I, if I suddenly find myself incredibly tempted sexually, it may be that the Holy Spirit has been trying to lead me in purity or speak to me about sexual holiness and there's this reaction in my sinful nature. If I suddenly find myself given to greed and I'm wanting to hoard more than before, it might be that the Spirit is trying to teach you about generosity about being open with these things. And your flesh is having this reaction. They're in opposition to one another. Again, Galatians 5. If I'm finding this desire in the flesh to medicate, I want to drink too much. I want to take those things. or I want to eat too much. Or I want to 
watch too much or whatever it is. It might be that the Spirit is trying to lead you to deeper places of rest and peace in the Lord. And our sinful nature is manifesting that as a desire to medicate, to drink too much. But what's really happening is the Spirit is trying to lead us to learn to find satisfaction in Christ. If we find ourselves suddenly given in the flesh to a great degree of anger or bitterness, it might be that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us about forgiving others and releasing others and extending grace. We must learn to pay attention to the ungodly desires of our flesh, which are inevitably there because they are often clues to the godly leading of the Spirit in our lives. Now, what we find next about Peter in verse 10 is that he fell into a trance. And this is undoubtedly just creepy, okay? I don't know what a trance is. I don't know what that means. It's never happened to me. There it is in the Bible. Peter's praying. He's hungry. He's in a trance. I I don't know what to do with that. I don't even know what a trance is. But here's what's perhaps significant about it for us, as mysterious as it is. We'll try to bring it down to earth. What happened there, very simply, is that God got Peter's attention. That's the salient point. This was not a self-induced trance. This was a God-induced trance. God stepped into Peter's regular rhythm of spiritual practices, even in the midst of his easily being distracted by fleshly desires, and he grabbed Peter's attention. Now, it may never happen to us through a trance, but it will happen to us. There are ways in which God right now is trying to get your attention. There are circumstances in your life that God is ordaining that are attention-getting circumstances. How is God trying to get your attention in your life right now? Because I would argue that he's wanting our attention more than we are giving it to him. Next then, in verse 11, the sheet appears, and then Peter hears the voice. What I want to say about that is this. He's hungry, he's on the roof, it's, it's not that abnormal, but often the voice of God is heard in ordinary moments. It's not always going to be an audible voice, we talked about that last week. It's not always going to be a dream or a vision. Sometimes it's the slightest impression. But it may come at the most normal of moments. Are you, are you living in alertness? Are you living ready for God to speak to you? Yes, there's spiritual practices. Yes, there's positioning ourselves for it. But what about just the normal daily life when God speaks to us? So I've been talking to one of our intercessors here in the church about this because she's one of my heroes when it comes to being led by the Spirit and hearing from the Spirit. And I, I was wanting some way to illustrate it. In fact, she had suggested to me, maybe you should use some illustrations in your sermon. And I, <laughs> I don't use very many illustrations, like real ones, because I have a memory issue. I know many of you don't believe that. Uh, I can remember scripture and things about surfing, but almost nothing else. So you'll be like, oh, that was so great to have lunch with you last week. I'm like, have I met you? I seriously have memory issues. I'm sure much of it has to do with my high school experience. And so I was asking for her then. I turned it on her. She's like, well, do you have, a, a, you know, some examples? I'm like, no, do you have an example? And I was expecting from her, because she's like this spiritual hero of mine, I was expecting at least 
trance level, right? Like, oh yeah, here's an example. I was in a trance on Saturday night. And like, I was looking for like that kind of thing. She goes, yeah, I have an example. Last Sunday I was walking to church and I walked by a piece of trash and I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me to go back and pick it up. I'm like, okay. Okay, then what? Because this is where like the heavens open and the sheet comes down and it's like creation care, super sanitation. Like what? Like, give me more. I was like, then what? She's like, well, then I went back and I just picked it up. Okay, so what, 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 is, what, what is the point of that? Like pick up trash? No. So the point of that is this. That's the way that the Holy Spirit trains me to hear his voice, is he'll give me seeming innocuous small suggestions throughout the day, and then I'm always presented with the opportunity to ignore or obey. That is how we learn the voice of God. And Christ said this, you will not be entrusted with more until you're faithful with the little things. Our culture has conditioned us to only look for the big things, even within Christianity. But scripture says, do not despise the day of small things. He who is faithful with the little will be entrusted with more. And so the Holy Spirit will prompt us in little things that seem insignificant. And what he is wanting to train us in is to discern his voice and to be obedient. And when we learn to do that in the small things, he will entrust us with and call us to big things because my brothers and sisters, the stakes are high. Some time ago, one of the families in our church was driving across one of the bridges that that crosses the 101. I believe it was near Summerlin. And there was a young man sitting on the bridge over the freeway. And as they drove by, the dad suddenly said, it was a dad, a mom, and uh, son and daughter. The dad suddenly said, Ah, something was strange about that boy. I just, I don't know what's going on there. And the daughter said, Dad, I think the Spirit is telling us to go back and talk to him. Now, here's one of those moments, right? Because I know this family, they drive a giant SUV and they're like, oh, it's hard to hang a U-turn on the overpass. And I'm the dad, you're the daughter, really? I mean, Spirit, who knows? Just a kid, like... But here's his family thinking something was strange. And the daughter says, I think the Spirit's telling us to go back. They turn around, they go back, get out of the car, they say, hey, are you, are you okay? And the kid says, it was my intention today to jump off this bridge and kill myself. And I've been sitting here for hours hoping that someone would stop and help me but I've counted 78 cars go by and no one stopped. And if you didn't stop, I was going to jump. See See what's at stake? God desperately loved that young man on that bridge. And in some mysteriously wonderful way, God endeavors to use his people. So he spoke to a dad and he spoke to a daughter just a mild suggestion, something very big. But we need to learn to hear the Spirit in the everyday stuff, walking past the litter, driving on the overpasses, because he's got something profound to say. And some of you feel like, you know, I, I just don't feel like God leads me like that at all, and this is just kind of frustrating to me. Let me tell you, if you are a son or a daughter of God, he's leading you. The Lord is your shepherd. 
He leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's faithful to do that. You may not always see it. It may be a hindsight thing where you look back and you say, oh, he was. Or it may be that he speaks very differently to you than I'm even speaking about from the pulpit or any of the examples I'm able to give. Maybe it's an issue of importunity that you need to press in more and wait and listen and seek. But you must know that if you're his daughter or his son, the Father is leading you. Now, sometimes when God leads us, it's not always going to make sense. Can I get an amen? Can I get a bigger amen? It's not always going to make sense. And so Peter sees the sheet come down with his animals on it, and it didn't quite make sense. Says in verse 17 that he was perplexed as to what the whole thing might mean. Oftentimes, when God is leading us, we will initially be perplexed. Let me say this about that. It's very wise to always go slow and to wait on the Lord. To go slow and to wait for clarity. When you have presumed leading in something, don't move forward in any profound action until you have some clarity. It doesn't mean that everything will be spelled out. It's always going to require some faith. Peter, step out of the boat. Okay, that's pretty clear, but that's going to require some faith. It will usually require some faith on your part, but don't make big life decisions on a presumed leading until you have clarity. Why? Because your father is able to speak to you clearly. He's able to make things clear and plain for you. He's not the God of confusion. The enemy's always seeking to confuse. We, we are easily confused, but God is capable of being clear. So if you don't have clarity, just wait to slow down. Here's why it's okay to slow down. Because God is outside of time and space, so he's never in a hurry. He's had all of eternity to plan your beautiful little life. He's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning. He's totally in control. He's not in a panic. So if you find yourself in this panicked hurry, it may be that you're off a little bit. You see, timing is everything. It's the whole thing of Abraham and Hagar. God had a great promise that he gave to Abraham But Abraham was tired of waiting. Instead of asking God more questions about it, he took the situation into his own hands and birthed the proverbial Ishmael, the work of the flesh. Timing is everything to wait on the Lord. And if something is really the Lord, he'll make it happen. You're not going to have to pound down the door yourself. So what we need to do when we're waiting for clarity is we need to begin to ask God good questions. Do you ask God questions? We need to begin to ask God good questions. Why is not a good question. You know why? Because there's never a satisfactory answer for that. Why, God, did my eight-year-old daughter die of cancer? I don't care what answer God gives me, it's not satisfactory for the pain that I feel. I'm talking about good questions. God, what are you doing here? What do you want to show me? What is that feeling of bitterness about? Why am I jealous of him? Why am I having such a hard time forgiving that person? What does it mean that you're showing me these areas? What does it mean that you're giving me a burden for them or a burden for this? We need to begin to ask God good questions. The reason is, It's because things are not always as they seem. 
Yesterday I was at the beach with my wife Kate and my son Isaiah and some friends of ours down at Rincon. And I had my stand-up paddle down there. The waves were small at that time. And so I was teaching one of the ladies from our Ventura campus, Heather, to uh, stand-up paddle. So I walked her out with a stand-up paddle board, about waist-deep water, and we're facing out to the ocean. And I'm giving her some basic instructions. Okay, you're going to get on the board. You're going to hold the paddle. You're going to climb to your feet. And then you're going to begin to paddle like this. I'm just explaining it to her. And as I'm looking out to the ocean, about for me to just the front row, a few feet away, all of a sudden, the water rises up, a wake is created, and a gray mass begins to come up. And I'm instantly like, great white shark. My instant thought is, that's a great white, that's it, it's over, I'm gonna get eaten, this chick that goes to my church is gonna get eaten, this is horrific. And she's like, Pastor Brent, what is that? And I start lying because I'm a good pastor. I don't want to make her scared. I'm like, oh, it's nothing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, I literally thought this is all happening, like, in an instant. I literally thought this is a great white shark. This is unbelievable. In front of my wife and kids, I'm going to get eaten. This is so my life. (laughs) And then a split second later, more of it comes up, and it's got these white blotches and these giant barnacles, and it's a California gray whale. And it just popped up right in front of us in super shallow water and then just slowly turned and its wake like came over us like that and it turned and started to swim out and I pushed her aside and I grabbed the board and I jumped on it to chase after it. <laughs> I literally did. I was like, here it goes. And I was paddling right over the thing and I was looking down and it was just under the surface of my board and its tail was hanging out on each side of my board several feet and it was like this 20 plus foot gray whale just swimming with me as I paddled. It was the most beautiful thing. It was astounding. Here's my point. Things are not always as they seemed. In the initial instance, it was terrifying. Later, it was beautiful. Slow down and ask God questions. He's in control He makes beautiful things. And stuff is not always what it appears to be. That is why reflecting on the way you think God is leading you is so incredibly important. It says in verse 19 that while Peter was reflecting on the vision that he saw, then the Spirit told him to do this. It's really important that we reflect on what God tells us. This is why I'm on this thing about let's put down the devices more often because devices keep us from reflecting, right? If I just turn on the TV or open the laptop or pull out the iPhone and do the status update, what am I ever reflecting? We need to take time to reflect on the way that we think God is leading us. Now, since my daughter died, I've been doing this through journaling. Never journaled before in my life. It wasn't my thing. It seemed like a girl thing. I just, I just never did it. And then when my daughter died, I, God was doing so much in our lives, I suddenly felt like I, I need to start journaling. And so I just started writing down the stuff that was hard in my heart and stuff that I was scared about and ways that I was frustrated and stuff that I thought God was saying and evidence of grace and ways that he was leading. And here's why journaling is beautiful. It forces us to slow down and confront what's going on in our hearts. It formalizes our thought processes. 
And it puts us in a place to hear from the Spirit because later on, we can go back and read those journal entries and then the beauty emerges. It's not a great white shark. It's a whale. Then all of a sudden, the beauty emerges. You go back and you read it and you see the ways that God has been leading you and you're able to reflect on what he's teaching you. And it's like it propels our spiritual growth. At least that's what it's doing for me since my daughter died five months ago. Peter took time to reflect on the vision. Here's why that's important. Peter only got further revelation, the Spirit told him that the guys were coming, when he took the time to reflect. You see, very seldom does God give us a five-year plan. We all want the five-year plan, right? But God never gives us, very seldom does he give anybody a five-year plan. Why? Because if you did that, you wouldn't talk to him for five years. I got the plan. This is awesome. I'm on it. No worries. He just leads us step by step. The shepherd never says, oh, 14 hills over, there's a quiet brook and there's green grass. Sheep, just kind of head for it. 14 hills, go that way. That's not what the shepherd does. The shepherd lovingly, slowly leads the sheep to still waters and green pastures. Doesn't always give us a five-year plan. Peter received the next bit of revelation. He received clarity and the next step, the direction, when he took time to reflect on what God was trying to communicate to him. Are you doing that in your life? I think you'll discover that he's saying more than you're currently aware of. I think we'll also discover as we do that, as we take the time to reflect, that if something is truly the leading of God, it will become more clear and you'll gain more certainty. And the wonderful safeguard is, if it's not of God and you continue to reflect, it'll just begin to fall apart. It'll just begin to crumble. God will just make sure that it goes away as you're seeking him and pursuing him in that time. The key is to focus on Christ the leader and not on the leading. We're so goal-oriented. We so want to know the end game that we get the leading and we get obsessed about that thing, especially if it's a guy or a girl. But we're only supposed to obsess about Jesus. And when we make it so Jesus is our obsession and we're focused on the leader, leading gets real simple. I talked to a guy last week, you know, I'd given that illustration about Kate and how I woke up one morning and just knew she was the one and the Holy Spirit made that clear to me. And so after service, he was talking to me. He's like, Britt, okay, there's this girl. I totally know she's the one. We broke up like several months ago and she won't talk to me and she thinks I'm a horrible person, but I have that same feeling you were talking about. I know she's the one. What do I do? Okay, here's what you do, man. Put all of your affection and your heart, direct yourself toward Jesus. If she's the one Jesus has to show her, you're not in the place to convince her right now. Don't get obsessed with what you might be led toward. Get obsessed with the one who leads us. It's all about him at the end of the day anyway. And if our focus is on Jesus, then we're safe in that place of leading. Because you know what happens a lot of times when we're led? It's, it's real life important stuff, right? We're talking about spouses. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about prophetic words. We're talking about vocation. We're talking about our kids. We're talking about all this real life stuff. There's emotions attached to all of this. 
And emotions are good. Part of what it means to be created in the image of God is we have emotions. But if we are led by our emotions, we're in a dangerous place because emotions have the proclivity to cloud our clarity. Emotions can muddy our perception and what we're hearing and make it really hard to discern between what we want and how the Spirit is leading us. That's why it's important to take time to not be in a hurry to bring our emotions to God and let him sort through them. And focusing on the leader and not the emotional issue mitigates the danger there. Now, that's all fine and good. Some real helpful, clear tips on how to be led by the Spirit. And all of us are going to experience that being led in different ways. Here's where it's going to get messy sometimes. is not everyone around us will always agree with the way that we feel we're being led. Can I get a witness? Anybody understand that? Yes. Okay. So that can get messy sometimes. And it especially gets messy when we pull the, well, God told me, trump card. Right? Anybody ever experience that? You're like, bro, I see what you're doing, but I don't know if that's the right thing to do. God told me, right? The trump card. Then you're just like, uh, okay, I mean, you're going to cut that guy's arm off, but I don't think that's the right thing to do. God told me. I mean, stupid example. You can see why I don't give illustrations. <laughs> but I'll tell you one that comes up all the time. Unmarried couples sleeping with each other, having sex, tell me all the time, God told us it's okay. There's the trump card. So now I'm, I'm emasculated as a pastor. Ugh, graphic term. I am... I, I am... I've been too much time on a ranch. I am inept now. Obscure word. I am sort of put out of the picture as a pastor now because they pulled the God told me trump card right? They're like, well, God, God told us it's okay because we're planning on getting married. This happens all the time in our church. All the time in our church. So there's a maybe better illustration. So what do we do when someone pulls the God told me trump card? Do we have safeguards for that? Because we should be able to say God told me because God does tell us. And we want God to tell us. And we want to be able to share that. But we have to do that as a community. So how might we see that work out well? Well, if we look in the next chapter, we see it happening. Let's just read a few verses and then very quickly talk about it. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, the Jews, took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, the Gentiles, and ate with them. Okay, so the community of faith, his brothers and his sisters, are in disagreement with what he did. Okay, they didn't understand that the gospel was yet to go to the Gentiles. Peter is going to pull the trump card. God told me, bro. Was that okay for Peter to do? If so, what made it okay? That's what we're looking at. So in the next verse, verse 4. But Peter began speaking and proceeding to explain to them an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, and I saw a vision. Can you imagine if someone, that's their opening line? Hey, dude, what are you doing? I was praying, I was in a trance, saw a vision. 
a certain object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I fixed my gaze upon it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, No way, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice came from heaven and answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Gentiles. Verse 10. And this happened three times and everything was drawn back up into the sky. Peter continues his defense. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared before the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me, there's a trump card. Why did you go with these men to preach the gospel to the Gentiles? That wasn't the plan. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. And these six brethren also went with me and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send a Joppa and have Simon who's called Peter brought here and you shall speak words to him by which you, he will be saved. You will be saved, you and all your household. And as they began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Peter is confronted by his community, his church, on his actions. His justification is the spirit told me. The end result was the whole church rejoiced and they agreed. Why was it okay in this instance? What can we do as a community to feel safe with the God told me phrase, both in hearing it and in using it? What are the guidelines? Very quickly, the issue is accountability. The issue is accountability. Listen to me, church. We are accountable to one another for our motives the direction in which we're going, the fruit in our lives, our faithfulness to scripture, and our relationships to one another. Okay, when it comes to the God told me trump card, when we pull that, we can expect to be questioned concerning our motives. And that is good and right for the church to do that with us. We are accountable for our motives. Here's why it was okay for Peter. This was not a Peter-oriented thing. This was a gospel, mission, other oriented thing. It wasn't driven by ego or self-preservation or self-promotion. It wasn't about Peter. It was about the kingdom and the well-being of other people. So when you pull the God told me Trump card, well, who is this about? Who is this promoting? Who is this for? It's okay to be asked that question. There is always the issue of motives. God wants me to be wealthy. I just know it. Maybe, but let's talk about motives. God wants me to be promoted to the highest place. I know it. Maybe, but let's talk about motives. There is always the issue of motives. James 4.3, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. What is your motive when you're saying God told me. The second thing we're accountable for is going in the right direction. Or, in other words, the way of the cross. 
The way of the cross is self-denial. Disciples of Jesus Christ are always led into self-denial. Anyone wants to come after me, let him pick up his cross and deny himself, Jesus said. Salient point is that Peter had nothing to gain in the way that he was being led. He actually had everything to lose in going to the Gentiles. That was contrary to his previous understanding and what the church was doing. Peter had much to lose in obeying. The Holy Spirit was leading him in something that was consonant with self-denial and the way of the cross. Spirit leads us in those ways. It doesn't mean he won't lead us beside some still water and some green grass and into times of rest and fun and all those things. But we should just expect to be asked if we pull the God told me trump card, okay, in what direction are you going? Is this the way of the cross? Is this the way of denial? Or is this the way of self-glory? And, and, and we need to know that the Spirit will lead us into some tough places sometimes. He led Jesus in, in Luke chapter 4 into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. He led Paul to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20 where it said, bonds and afflictions await me, the Spirit has told me. Last week, we talked about the fact how in Acts 16, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were led to Macedonia. Well, there, they were beaten to within an inch of their life and they were thrown in prison. The Spirit will sometimes lead us into difficult places. That's why we always need to be asking the question, who is this about and am I willing to go the way of the cross? And remember, things don't always seem or always don't end up being what they seem to be. Thirdly, we are accountable for evidential fruit. Verse 15, there was just fruit that this was God. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. When Peter said, I heard the Spirit, the guys were knocking at the door. There was tangible evidence that what Peter was saying God was doing, God was actually doing. Listen to me. When we pull the trump card or we hear it called, we should look for evidence that something is God. That it is glorifying to Jesus. Fruit is always going to glorify Jesus. You know, there's lots of strange stuff that happens within the church, ecstatic experiences, stuff that people claim to be the Holy Spirit. The word's not necessarily clear on it. What do we do? Well, let's, let's look at the fruit. See, it's okay when someone says, well, this is the Spirit and this is God, for us to say, okay, well, show me the fruit that brings glory to Jesus. Because the Spirit is always going to bring fruit that brings glory to Jesus. Sometimes it's in hindsight. But it's okay for us to look at one another and say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but where's the fruit that's evidential? Fourthly, we are accountable to be faithful to Scripture. Peter said in verse 16, and I remember the word of the Lord, how he had told us about this. Ezekiel, the Jewish scriptures, has also told them. The prophet Joel had also told them. When we claim something is from God, we are accountable to Scripture. Always. The Spirit will never lead us in a way that's contrary to Scripture. You know why this is so important? Because our friends who live in our community, the Mormons, they claim to have leading by feeling. And you could show them how it's incredibly wrong in Scripture. And they'll say, but I know the Mormon church is true because I feel it. And so I've been led that way. So what makes you, Christian, any different from a Mormon when you're saying I'm led, but you're not being faithful to Scripture? You should expect to be held accountable by your friends, your brothers and sisters, your calm group, your pastors, your peers on being faithful to Scripture. 
And lastly, we need to be faithful in community with our relationships with one another. Let me tell you why it was okay for Peter to pull the trump card in addition to all those things. Because Peter had relational currency in that group of people. He was relationally connected with the people confronting him. And he had a trustworthy reputation in the church. He wasn't perfect. Everyone knew about Peter. But they also knew that he was on mission, that he loved the church, that he loved them, that he knew Christ and desperately wanted to be faithful to Jesus. He had relational currency. He was connected within the body of believers. Are you connected? And he had a faithful reputation. Therefore, when he pulled the trump card, there was something to go on. We as a church are accountable to one another when we say we're being led by the Spirit for our motives. Who is this about? The way we're going, denial or glory, the evident fruit, faithfulness to Scripture, and our relationships with one another. Now, sometimes you're truly being led by the Spirit, and the people that are most important to you are saying, I don't see it. What do you do? Well, there's been great examples throughout history where people around men and women didn't see it and they went forward in it anyway and they did the right thing. William Tyndale felt that he was supposed to get the Bible translated in English. They burned him at the stake for it in 1539. The church and the government did. He was right. But in normal circumstances, wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and willing to yield. If something is truly God, you can trust God to show all parties involved. It may not happen as quickly as you want, but an evidence of being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit is humility and mutual submission. It's never haughtiness and absolute demandingness that everyone see it our way. If something is God, He's on the throne, He's in control, you can wait a little bit and say, God, can you show my calm group? Can you show my brothers? Can you show my sisters? Can you show my pastor? James 3, if you're wise and understanding God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy, here's the point, jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are actually earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above, the leading from above is first of all pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. Who's most full of the Spirit? Who's most led by the Spirit? The one who is most like Christ. Gentle, peace-loving, willing to yield for the glory of God. Amen? Lord, thank you for showing us these things. And we just pray as we continue to endeavor to do life together, you continually give us wisdom, humility, and conviction. Help us to struggle through these things in a way that's faithful to our relationships and your word and all this stuff. Thank you, God, that you want to speak more than we ever imagined. 
Make us disciples who are listening. Make us men and women who are ready to hear what the Spirit has to say. The stakes are high. The kingdom is here and is going forth and is coming. Want to be involved in your kingdom work. Want to live lives that bring you glory. So teach us to hear from you. Teach us to do it well and in a healthy manner as a community. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.